Esther was told in this critical moment of discernment. Who knows, but that God has raised you up and put you in this place for such a time as this. I believe that's the same message that God has given Ken Jones about Oklahoma Christian University. Who knows, but that God has raised him up and put him in that place for such a time as this. In case you didn't know, it's difficult right now to be an institution of higher education. A lot of the challenges we see in this world, a lot of the challenges we see in our country are certainly impacting universities, educational places of all levels, but certainly universities, and especially ones that claim Jesus as Lord and try to instill Christian character in its students. And yet, Dr. Jones has embraced this challenge, and I am thankful that he has. Ken has spent the better part of four decades in Christian higher education and leadership training. About 20 of those years were spent as the president of Lubbock Christian University. After he moved on in 2012, they named him chancellor of that university for about five years. And then I think he thought he was going to ride his tractor off into the sunset in Cordell, where he has a place and where his family has a long history. But God had other plans. And so he and Susie are here, and they're already doing great things out at OC. Ken has a long-standing relationship with our congregation. Uh, over the years, he has spoken at several different things, and he may say more about that in a minute, but I remember just a couple of years ago, right on the heels of the intense part of the pandemic, we asked Ken to come and talk to our shepherds and to our ministry staff. And just help us with this transition. Help us with some adaptive change principles. Ken is well-versed in leadership. And he was able to give us some, some language and some tools that have been extremely helpful in our leadership navigating the past three or so years. I'm always so appreciative of Ken and for the way that God uses him. He has degrees from Oklahoma State University, including a doctorate in agricultural engineering. He and Susie, and Susie is here by the way, we're so thankful to have her here. She came to first service as well, so I, I said, you know, she gets double points today because she came to both services. Ken had to come to both services, but she gets bonus points today. They have two grown children, their spouses of course, and then four grandchildren. And we're so thankful that Ken and Susie are with us and for the message of, of inspiration and hope and encouragement that he will provide Today. I do want to tell you, at the end of his message, he's going to offer an invitation, and certainly you can come down to the front, but as you may or may not know, we have a couple of shepherds and their wives that will be in the parlor. It's a room right behind this stage area. You can go there. You can exit out these doors at that point in time. You can go there, and they will encourage you and pray for you. If you need special assistance, they'd be happy to, uh, to be there for you today. So, Ken, we're glad you're here. Please bless us with a word from the Lord. Well, Susan and I are truly delighted to be here with you this morning, and it's uh, been good to uh, cross paths with several people from our past, and uh, I have a cousin sitting back over here, and it's uh, good to see Danny and Sandra, and uh, Danny growing up was always kind of my hero. He was a couple years older than I, but he was much, much larger and much, much stronger, and 
you know how kind of in high school when people kind of bother you, all I had to do was go get Danny, and everything settled down. So uh, Danny's uh, been my hero for a long time. I appreciate Randy sharing his pulpit with me this morning. Uh, Randy has uh, done such a great job here, and he's spoken out in chapel a couple different times. I've heard him, and he just does a great job in chapel. Thankful to the elders for allowing us to be here. And Randy is right. We have a long history. You, you probably don't know this, but Susan and I feel like we have a long history with the Edmund Church. Because when we were first married, we were at Stillwater, and I would drive down on Saturday mornings really early. I had to be out on Reno Street at Chief Freight Lines about 5.45, at least by 5.45, and I would get chosen as a casual employee to work the freight docks. And I can make more money in one Saturday than I can make two weeks working in the engineering lab, but I did both. But to shortcut the drive in the early morning, a lot of weekends, Susan and I would spend over at Luther, for her grandparents lived there for many, many years. But on Sunday morning, Luther did not have a church of Christ, and so we had to make up our mind, where do we go? Do we go over to Wellston, or do we go to Edmond? We went both, but a lot of times to the Edmond church. Now, I've already been dated, because... Randy said four decades, and I mean, it's getting, getting worse all the time. But we, we started coming to church with you when you were over at the, what, 9th or 10th and Boulevard location? And then when you moved to a temporary facility at University of Central Oklahoma, Susan and I would attend. And then we've spoken at the other location where the school now is and actually been here a couple of times, so... It's good to be with you this, this morning. I, I, I want to take a lesson from the Gospel of John. I've, I've been working my way through the Gospel of John for a long, long time. A few months ago, we, we were in John chapter 12. Now, I think now we're at the end of John 14, but that was a few months ago, several months ago. We were in John chapter 12. And I came to verses 27 through 29, and I don't know that it's such a, a profound lesson, but for me, for me it had a lot of application and a lot of meaning. And what I'm hoping this morning is that for all of you, it can have similar application and similar meaning. But before I get to that passage, there are two things we need to understand. The first is this. The statement, begin with the end in mind. Now, if you're a leadership person, you probably recognize the name of a man named Stephen Covey. During his lifetime, he wrote many books, gave many keynote speeches, had a leadership training program. His first book, I think his first book, was written in 1989, Sold 25 million copies, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. One of his seven habits was that. You begin with the end in mind. Now, that's just common sense to all of us, isn't it? I mean, when you go on a trip, you know where you're headed, and you begin packing things, and you begin deciding 
directions and so forth based on the end in mind. And if you've ever built a house, do you not start by getting a rendering of what you want the outside to look like and then, then you, you look at what you kind of want the inside to be laid out like and then you finally get someone to draw those plans and if the builder executes those plans exactly when it's all finished, it looks just like what you thought it would. You began with the end in mind. Now, everybody kind of understand that principle? Kind of got to get that. Well, here's the next thing that I want you to understand. Things that we dread. Things that we dread. Do you, know, do you know how that feels? All of you understand how it feels? We have something out there in the future that's looming, and we don't want to go through it, and we don't want to deal with it. And maybe it's out there a ways, and so right now I'm, I get really busy, and I don't think about it too much. But as it gets closer and closer and closer, it begins to weigh on me more and more, and I, I dread it so much. And maybe it's as simple as a speech. And you don't like making speeches, but you know at this certain event, you've got to get up and you've got to talk. And, and now it's getting really, really close, and you so greatly dread it. Or maybe it's a scheduled surgery, a significant surgery, and it's, it's six weeks away. And right now, I don't have to think about it too much, but the closer it gets, two or three days away, it, it begins to weigh on me, and I think about it, and I have such dread for it. Everybody understand that one? You feel what that's like? Begin with the end in mind and things that we dread. If you get those two concepts, then you're ready to try to understand what's taking place with Jesus in John chapter 12, beginning in verse 27. You understand, don't you, that Jesus started with the end in mind? We don't know much about the first 30 years. He grew up in that little obscure village of Nazareth. But then all of a sudden we see him stepping out and he's arriving at the Jordan River and there he is baptized by John. And, and when he comes up out of that water, he begins what we call his public ministry. And he knows exactly the end of that public ministry. He knows that he'll be nailed, literally, literally nailed to a cross. He knows the humiliation. He knows the pain. He knows all of that. He begins with the end in mind. And yet he is so very busy at the beginning. He's teaching people. He's healing people. And he's, he's trying to mentor these 12 apostles who are kind of hard to mentor. But it's getting closer. John chapter 12 begins in the very first verse. It tells you it's only six days till Passover. And Passover is when he'll be killed. It's only six days. Then a little later it says it's the next day, so it's only five days. And now he's beginning to think, though he began at the Jordan River with this end in mind, that which he 
dreads is getting closer and closer. And so you begin in the first phrase of verse 27 in John chapter 12. And I want you to hear carefully the words of Jesus, how he's feeling five days prior to the time when he'll be nailed to the cross. Look at these words. Now my soul is troubled. Everybody feel that? I, I, I dread this. I don't want to be nailed to that cross. My heart is really, really heavy. And I suspect in this audience this morning, and I know it's fall break and a lot of people are missing, that doesn't bother me whatsoever. But I suspect in this audience this morning, there are some really heavy hearts. I wouldn't know the reason. Maybe the person sitting next to you doesn't know the reason. But I know this from a lot of experience, that life gets really, really hard a lot of times. Life's wonderful. I I love life. But I'm going to tell you, life gets really, really difficult at times. And there are all kinds of things that we go through. And there are things that we dread all the time. And it's so easy for our hearts to get so very, very troubled. And Jesus began with the end in mind, but he now is really close and it's weighing on him. Now it's the next verse, it's the next thought that really is what captured my attention in this passage, that really applied. Read with me what it says next. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Now that's why I titled the lesson, though a title of the lesson usually means nothing. I titled the lesson The Easy Option. Did you notice that? The Easy Option? Because my paraphrase for that is, What shall I do? Quit? And may I tell you that that there is a number one easy option that people take everywhere. When it gets really hard and it gets really tough and I dread it so much, I just say, I'm done. I quit. And so have you ever known anyone who has quit? They, They quit in a marriage and they... They quit in a job, and they quit in a career, and they, and do you know they quit at church too? In fact, I think, I wouldn't know like Phil knows, and I wouldn't know like Randy knows, but I think the book of Hebrews is written completely to people who are wanting to give up. they just grown weary in well-doing, and they just want to stop. Shall I quit? I suspect you've done that before, haven't you? Every one of you? Has there been something that has become so hard or you dread it so much that you just stop? Colonel Buxton knows this. When you graduate from an engineering school, 
you can take an eight-hour exam, fundamentals of engineering, you call it the engineering and training exam. When you pass that exam, you document four years of work experience. And then you can take another eight-hour exam, which is called the professional engineering exam. And then you're a licensed professional engineer in the state in which you take that exam. I carried that license in the state of Oklahoma for years. And I would occasionally do some streets and sewer and water and, and hydraulic things. And, but we moved to Lubbock. And we were so busy. Six and seven days a week, over and over and over again. And, and every year I'd get the notice and I'd have to pay my dues. And I didn't mind paying the dues. They weren't very much. But one, one year I got the letter to pay the dues. But it said, you're going to have to do some continuing education. Well, that was back before we did all this online stuff. And my first thought was, how am I going to do that? How, how can I possibly travel back to Oklahoma and, and find time to take a short course? I, and besides that, I've been out of engineering for a long time, and I, I, it'd be really hard for me, and it would just sit there on my desk, and I'd look at it. And then another day would pass, and I'd look at it. What am I going to do about this? Well, you can already guess what I did, can't you? Everybody know what I did? I just quit. I said, I'm done. I don't know how many times, but several. I have so wished, I've wished that I would have come back, made the time, kept the license, because there have been times where I have needed it and wanted it. Do you understand that example? I got one better than that. I got one that really applies. You heard that we have four grandchildren. Susan and I have four grandchildren. The oldest one is a granddaughter named Mackenzie. She just graduated at OC last fall. She began at OC with the end in mind. She chose OC. She could have gone other places, but she chose OC. And she began with the end of mind. What she said was, I want to become an optometrist. And so she, she, she planned her track. And it was a little different way of planning the track. She planned it all so that she'd be ready to become an optometrist. So last fall, before graduation, she took her exam that you'll have to take, an entrance exam, and she just did average. It was just an average score. But she applied at Tahlequah, which is supposed to be, I hear, the number one optometry school in the United States. They only take 28 students a year. So she drove over and went to the interview. It's kind of unheard of. The next morning, they contact her and said, we want you to come. We, we accept, we want you to come. We've been praying about it. Others have been praying about it. We believed it was providential. 
Do you believe in providence? I'm telling you. My being at OC, do you not think it's providential? I mean, look at me. You would never choose someone who looks like this to be president. I mean, you get the younger guys. You do all this other stuff. I mean, it has to be providential. It's the only reason Susan and I would take it at this stage in life. I believe in providence. I thought it was providential that she said something or did something in her interview that made that school say, we, we want you to come. But Susan and I had a concern because she's a homebody. She loves home. She graduated, you know how we graduate early? Or at least this semester again we graduate early. And she got to go the whole spring semester back to Lubbock. And through most of the summer, she had a little job she liked working for a medical doctor. And we wondered, will she really ever leave Lubbock again? So late last April, early May, somewhere in that time frame, I get a phone call. I was here. She said, Pop, can you talk? I said, sure, I can talk. She said, I want to know what you think. I'm thinking about staying here in Lubbock, and I'm going to get a master's degree in nutrition, and I'm just going to do something here. And I said, Mackenzie, if that is passion speaking, I'll be all behind it. But if that is fear speaking, and if that is dread speaking, if you don't want to leave home is the reason. I'm going to tell you, you may be making one of the biggest mistakes of your life, for we have all prayed and we all believe that this is absolutely providential what you've been chosen to do. This is where God has called you, it appears to me. We talked for about an hour. She went and talked to two other doctors, different kinds of doctors. She called back a couple of days later. And she said, Pop, I think you were right. It was just fear. It was just dread. I'm going to go ahead and go. She's over there right now in her first semester, and, and yes, they have fall break, and it's really hard, so she didn't go anywhere on fall break. She's there studying, but she seems to love it, and she seems to belong, and she stayed with it. She did not take the easy option. She did not quit. And Jesus knew what he was getting into, and he knew how hard it would be and it's getting closer and closer, and he dreads it so much. And he could have quit. We sing the song. He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have done anything he wanted to do. But you know what he wanted? He wanted all of us this morning to be called his children. He wanted every one of us to have our sins washed away through his blood. And he knew if he quit, that whole plan that God had made in the beginning 
of salvation would be messed up. What shall I say? Save me for this hour? Look at the next phrase. To God be the glory for this next phrase. No. No. I'll not take the easy option. I'll not quit. For this very reason I came. I began with the end in mind. This is why I've come. I'll finish the course. And I think there's other language in the New Testament about you and I running a race and finishing the course. Remember what happens next? You, you heard it what read a moment ago. Remember what happens next? Watch what happens next. He says, Father, glorify your name. And the, a voice comes from heaven, and it must have been really loud because some people think it's a thunder, and they say, he says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And I know that later Jesus will say to that crowd, he said this for your benefit, not so much for mine, but I have to wonder about it. How did Jesus feel deep down inside with that statement? Because let me tell you another ingredient you need to finish your race, to do what you were called to do. See, Satan wants to stop us. Satan doesn't want Randy to preach. Sandy doesn't want you elders to stay elders. Satan doesn't want anything good to happen anywhere. And he makes life so hard that you want to quit. And Jesus said no. But watch what happens next. This voice. Do you not think he was a little bit encouraged? And the reason why I like that so much is because when he began at the Jordan River and he was baptized... Do you remember what happened then? Yes, the Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove, but there's this voice that booms from heaven, and the voice says, This is my Son. I'm pleased with Him. The Father knew where He was headed. He knew the end that was coming. And you read Luke's Gospel, and you get about halfway through Luke's Gospel, and it says, Jesus turns and sets His face resolutely toward Jerusalem. He's going to Jerusalem for the last time. He's going to be hanged on that cross. You know what happens right before he turns toward Jerusalem? He goes up on the side of a mountain, takes Peter, James, John. That's what we call the transfiguration. Clothes bright white. He sees Moses, sees Elijah. We have no idea what they're saying to him. I can only imagine, kind of like your words behind me. But don't you think Moses might have said, Jesus, I didn't want to go back to Pharaoh. I knew it could mean death. And later, I didn't want to go in that wilderness for 40 years with those people. But I stayed with it. And look what God did. And can you imagine that... It, Elijah might have said, look, you know what assignment he gave to me? The father gave to me? I was a prophet when Ahab was king and Jezebel was queen. And I didn't want to go back and see Ahab at Mount Carmel. He'd been trying to find me and kill me. But I did. And then suddenly a voice comes and the voice says, this is my son whom I love and whom I am well pleased. 
you feel the encouragement as he turns to go to Jerusalem knowing that he's going to die? And is it not in part the reason we assemble together this morning? Is it not at least in part that we spur one another on to love and good works, that we spur one another on to say, don't quit. Don't you take that easy option. Don't you take the easy option in your marriage, Dr. Kale? Don't you take the easy option at your job? Don't you take the easy option with our God and His salvation? Don't you walk away. And let's encourage one another to stay the course that God has given us. That's the message of John chapter 12, 27 through 29. And I'm going to tell you, I like what Randy said a moment ago, that there are a couple of elders in the parlor for those of you whose hearts are so heavy and you need special, dedicated, committed prayer. That's part of the invitation. And I'm going to tell you that Jesus went all the way to the cross and he was literally nailed to that cross. I can't even begin to imagine. I've talked about it a lot, but I can't really imagine what it would be like. And he did it so that his blood could be spilled so that you and I could have salvation. So we could become a part of his kingdom. So we could be born into his kingdom. And that's always the invitation we offer. So if you need this morning, it's all available. Let's stand and sing.